0: Welcome to Risk Roundup. As we witness an unprecedented convergence of technological advances in processing power, interconnectivity, cheap data storage, high fidelity rendering, physics simulation, natural language technologies, and so much more, it is important to understand what it means and why it matters. It matters because it allows us to embed Individual intelligence in shareable concepts and sharing, connecting and integrating sources of knowledge, information and intelligence is behind everything we humans have done in the past, are doing today and will do in the coming tomorrow. When we look back at how knowledge and information sharing has evolved from those very first drawings and scribes, printing press and newspapers, Libraries, radio to mass broadcasting, web search engines to ever increasing amount of data and digital content in so many different formats. It is remarkable to be witnessing a silent revolution that is moving towards data-driven insight, collective human intelligence, and collective machine intelligence. This silent revolution, the transformation of information sharing and intelligence gathering, the shift that we are witnessing from individual to social to technological through connected computers is leading us to a world where intelligent connected machines now play an increasingly dominant role as not only the creators and containers of collective machine intelligence, but also as human representatives that are capable of using that information on behalf of humans in so many different roles. These fundamental transformation changes humanity's relationship to knowledge, information, intelligence and raises profound implications for the future of the human experience and endeavors. To discuss collective machine intelligence further, I am honored to welcome Lars Wood to Risk Up. Lars is the CEO of KwaZwam and is based in United States. He is also a visiting scientist at MIT, CIA, FBI, NSA, White House and so many more organizations. His innovative career spans patented ANN algorithms, advanced microelectronics, thermonuclear and quantum physics, supercomputing machines, condensed matter physics, superconducting electronics, subatomic particle matter visualization, small molecule drug discovery where molecules use supramolecular forces to make decisions about their biological activity and so much more. Welcome Lars, we are honored to have you on this roundup.
1: Thank you very much, Jayshree. I am uh, very honored to be here.
0: Wonderful, So, Let's begin our discussion by understanding knowledge sharing and connected computers. From the beginning of times, our early knowledge sharing relied on speech and other social behaviors. However, over the years with advances in technology, now we have augmented this capacity for collective intelligence with writing, publishing, and now with, because of the connected computers, the computer code, in so many other digital formats. What role do you envision connected computers or machines playing in collective knowledge creation, sharing and intelligence?
1: Well, first of all, what's necessary is that these computers have to have a common way of communicating. Uh, but it's not in terms of simple messages, uh, TCP IP or what have you. Uh, the, uh, those can be uh, carriers, if you would, for the messages, but the messages themselves need to be of a, of a kind of a language which uh, they also can understand and interact with respect to uh, artificial intelligence, let's say, and collective intelligence. So, for example, the reason that uh, we are able to communicate and, and solve problems collectively as humans is because uh, we have a common basis with respect to language. Uh, And uh, the there is fun. The the languages have evolved for different peoples. Uh, For example, in India, obviously, uh, I have a friend who's a Sikh, and and they speak a different language than I speak. Okay, Uh, Chinese and so forth, Russian. Uh, But the but the basis of all languages uh, is in terms of uh, uh, fundamental uh, uh, speech objects, phonemes, and so forth. And uh, these, these are required for commuter, computers to be able to communicate with one another. I'm not saying uh, that they have to speak like humans. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that the messaging that they do between one another has to be of a common base language, sort of a, if you would, a collective intelligence set of phonemes. And these would then uh, form the basis for different types of Languages in, with which they would communicate with, without that, without that, what you have is a bunch of machines that are uh, whose complexity with respect to their interactions becomes overwhelming because it 's like you know what API am I using and so forth, but with a common language that they can communicate with, and this is a, more of a signaling language than a language associated with uh, uh, verbal communication uh, that that is, is really the breakthrough that is required for machines to uh, actually have collective intelligence. Until that takes place, what you have are uh, bits and pieces where you might have an intelligent capability or a machine here, uh, you know, uh, IOT, that sort of thing, but they're all little black boxes. Uh, Without this ability to uh, have common signaling, okay, uh, that they understand and it has to be a signaling which is, you know, uh, Specific to artificial intelligence communication okay uh, they they will just be isolated and uh, will not will not achieve the full self organization potential
0: no that 's excellent point that you made there and you are right that communication and that language that machines can you know interact with each other not only just between machines but also between machines and humans that is so very fundamental, and the human brains unparalleled ability to design, modify, and build new forms of intelligence is so powerful. Now in its so many different diverse forms from human brain to computers of so many different size from desktops to laptops to uh, smartphones to now internet of things, machine learning, deep learning, intelligence is now becoming the most powerful and precious resource in existence. However, when we integrate this human intelligence with machine intelligence, then our relationship with everything on Earth and beyond in cyberspace, geospace, and space enhances and it amplifies. So, what potential do you see because of the convergence of imminent human intelligence with the machine intelligence?
1: That's a very good question. In fact, if you take from the perspective, and let's just call it common signaling as opposed to a language, okay? Um, If there's a common signaling mechanism that uh, all machines understand, uh, where knowledge uh, is passed and evolves uh, and stored, in terms of these common signaling terms, if you would, then what you have is a basis for translation uh, into human interactions, because you can basically have a translator. And uh, as a result of that, you, you have a collective intelligence which spans Not just machine interactions with one another with machine to machine, but in terms of uh, human beings. Uh, Gary Kasparov, uh, the chess master, uh, said said recently that when he was beaten by the IBM chess machine uh, a year later, everybody was beating the chess the IBM chess machine uh, with the with the with the addition of a small, simple chess playing computer. So in other words, what was taking place was that these people uh, that were not even as expert as he was, they were good but not like him, were uh, beating the the, 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 the now ruling chess master machine by uh, just working with a a machine that was much simpler, uh, like a chess playing machine or a chess playing program at at their side. That, I believe, is where things are going. Uh, the, The whole idea of a singularity As uh, uh, the the fellow, I'm having a moment here, but he basically is the person that uh, built Stevie Wonder's. uh, I actually met him, Stevie Wonder's keyboard uh, many years ago. He had a a company. He he works for uh, Google now, and he's been talking. He's the one who's been promoting this idea of the singularity in 20, 30 years. I believe what that's really going to look like uh, is a combined. Uh, singularity, if you would, with where machines and humans together collectively have a new type of intelligence that work together. Um, the reason I think this is because it, it's a lot simpler to do than having a machine which is omnipotent, if you would, or a, a computer that, you know, with the algorithms doing all these types of things. It's a lot easier to have humans interacting with machines through a common signaling mechanism that enables uh, the two together to work in a more powerful way. It's really more of an extension of what takes place now. Uh, It's a natural extension. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely, you're right. And now we are at the brink of intelligence enhancement because of so many technological advances and so many, so much new discovery in science and understanding that we have, which could be the most consequential technological development of our time and in history. So because of it, we will likely be able to frame artificial machine intelligence in terms of humanity's long history of building computers. Of collective intelligence, do you hear an echo
1: uh,
0: no, I don't okay, sorry about that so uh, so the because of the computer code connected computers and internet, it seems collective machine intelligence already exists the so many machines are connected all over all across nations and because of that, the intelligence is already there. We just need to extract it now. What is the state of collective machine intelligence from your perspective?
1: Well, the, uh, it's interesting. Uh, right now, it's, it's, uh, my observation uh, is that people are focused more on the algorithms uh, and, uh, and, and, and basically building infrastructure uh, uh, for example, the algorithms are old, however, the, uh, uh, in, with you know, maybe linear types of refinements, but, the, but, the, but, the, but they are b- building infrastructure around those systems. Let me give you an example from microelectronics. Okay? So when people first started building uh, machines uh, using transistors, okay? uh, it was very complicated and difficult to do. Uh, and the reason is because you only had only people who could do it were experts. You had to have a, you know, PhD in, uh, uh in solid, say, physics. It was very hard. I, I remember those days. I actually did that kind of thing for a while. But, uh, slowly uh, companies arose, uh, like, uh, Graphics for one, which one of the early ones, that provided these, uh, infrastructures. Now it took a lot longer then, all right, because the computers were. Uh, the good computers were were very expensive, like you know sun, machi- sun spark workstations and so forth. but these these infrastructures uh, and frameworks provided for accelerated development of of uh, solid state devices, and there were libraries and so forth that originally arose, and so you could literally almost have somebody that didn 't have much um, background in solid state physics, or none at all for that matter. Uh, be able to design uh, complex circuits. Now, the uh, the corollary here is that's what's taking place today. The algorithms have been around for a while, but the infrastructure that's being built up, uh, the platforms and so forth that are that are on the verge of of uh, being released um, are 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 key to enabling the uh, the basic uh, use of artificial intelligence. In a, in a In a friendly fashion, so uh, you know you don 't have to be somebody that programs an assembly language to be able to create a program. You can buy Visual Studio and understand c++ or Java or some other language and be able to do it that 's much easier than coding at a very low level the uh, The same thing is true here. The algorithms that are out there uh, with google 's using ibm they 're all handcrafted. and th- what 's taking place is an evolution in these infrastructural systems. Once that takes place, okay, people will start to focus on collective intelligence. Myself, I've been, I, I sort of look at things from the perspective of what do I not have to do from my perspective. I, what, what, in other words, what do I, Lars, not have to work on if somebody else is going to do it? And uh, so I, I, I see this taking place already where people are building up these, uh, these architectures that enable uh, uh, you know, development of these AI systems very, very quickly, uh, and, and so what I focused on, which I think is the next step after that, uh, is the actual signaling between these systems, so that they can communicate in a, in a very fluid fashion. It's like in the old days with uh, Microsoft or other software companies, and everybody had their own, own operating system, and they were all, You and this was back in the days of uh, DOS, and there was, you know, uh, Unix, and so forth. and and there was AT&T's version of Unix and it was a it was very relatively complex for them to talk to each other. Now that's not the case. Computers, you know, if a computer operating system can't talk to another computer operating system it doesn't survive. So that problem has effectively been solved in uh, uh, and, and only a very short period of time too. If you think about when Bill Gates started doing what he did to now I mean basically it's completely different. Uh, the same is going to be true for these for collective intelligence. In other words, the these these systems that are similar to like companies like Microsoft and so forth building their platforms um, will uh, start to emerge rapidly now that the uh, proof of principles using the faster machines, such as Google with their Go implementation and so forth, and IBM with Watson. Uh, lessons learned of course, you know, Watson did greater jeopardy, not so great at life sciences simply because uh, the problem is not so narrow. So what you'll see are these narrow applications developing in platforms as they are and then uh, making it easier with respect to the infrastructure uh, and then finally the, the, the common signaling. That is fundamental. That, that will result in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a punctuated equilibrium. In other words, uh, where things are going along for a while, Uh, And and the the systems are getting better and better, but then there's a big jump that takes place suddenly when these things can communicate in a common way that uh, allows them to take advantage of each other's capabilities. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes. And you're right that when it comes to machines, it seems currently we are at the state of algorithmic symbol manipulation. and just the beginning there is so much more that we still have to achieve but do you think machines could take the words emotions actions patterns trends and convert them into a meaningful language and communication and the signaling that you are talking about that describes what they mean do you think we'll be able to achieve that
1: yes but you have to look at the you have to look at the machine learning algorithms differently i'll give you a, a very quick example right now uh, most of these algorithms are focused on big data analytics and so forth. Uh, even the even the Go program is actually doing that. If you think about it, trying to discover or search for uh, you know, a move that was appropriate out of out of a uh, you know a very large set of moves, but but still finite. The uh, the, the, the 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 big the big difference here is that uh, it, uh, they are basically pattern recognition systems. They 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 are train in whatever, or they learn in whatever mechanism they, they they are exposed to unsupervised learning, supervised learning, what have you. But they're basically doing pattern recognition. Deep networks take that a little bit, so it's like modular software, where you have modules that break down a, a complex problem so it can be learned more easily. Okay? It's like different regions of the brain, obviously a different substrate, but nonetheless the same thing where you have different modules in the brain that are responsible for storing different types of information, and then integrating those up so what you see is, you know, your consciousness. Now, the way that emotions are are implemented is completely different. If you think about uh, a process, let's say you have a mechanical process, okay, and you learn that mechanical process, uh, and let us say that it's a simple cart that's moving, and this is a very old problem by the way, uh, a cart that's moving back and forth on a track. Now, uh, the learning of that is not not, uh, novel anymore, but the key thing is the is the is measuring the the, uh, the process? So effectively, this, there is stress associated with the learning process. Okay. In other words, these algorithms, it may be more or less difficult for an algorithm to be able to learn some problem. Th- those those can, that can be measured. For example, uh, the Bellman error is a very good example. Of, a, of an algorithm which has been around for a long time, but when applied to machine learning, can be used to characterize the stress associated with a learning process. If you take those stress outputs, okay, which also can include the velocity of learning and the acceleration, how the how, how acceleration of the learning process, that can be translated in, into a, a, a measure of, of emotional stress. Okay, if you think of if you think of emotions as as uh, basically dealing with a, with a stress situation at, at the level of the acute stress response, that is say fight or flight. Okay, uh, what you're dealing with are, are, is effectively you know uh, chemical signals in the brain which are relaying the the, in, the difficulty associated with solving some problem. Okay, so if you if you transduce that if you would to algorithms. You can measure the the, uh, the activity of an algorithm, uh, in, in terms of machine learning algorithm, and derive from that metrics which basically provide for stress indicators, which uh, in, uh, basically provide emotions. And I've done experiments where I've actually been able to reproduce um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, in, 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 a, in a simple a single neuron, uh, and uh, uh, and also. Uh, the feeling of, uh, of uh, the feeling of epiphany. we I mean, without any training, just exposing uh, a, a set of values to a, a, an algorithm uh, and measuring these outputs. As I've specifically the Bellman era, okay, uh, which has been around for a long time. Um, the uh, you're able to have a measure of stress or a measure of insight. Something has taken place. In other words, the learning algorithm has suddenly. Uh, convert, started to converge. By measuring how the algorithms behave themselves and having those outputs, what you have is the basis for emotions and computers.
0: Yes, no, that makes sense and also the advances in the brain technology, brain waves and brain computer interface, that will also probably be very useful as we try to uh, go forward with uh, how to understand the emotions, how to understand uh, what we are thinking, what the human thoughts are and how we can decode all that using the brain-computer interface. So we, in the coming years, it's going to be very exciting what kind of developments you know, we can have because of the advances in brain waves and brain-computer interface. Now, incredible advances in natural language processing technologies have come about as a result of big data that has enabled powerful search engines and automated language translation and cloud-based speech recognition. Now these advances in natural language processing impacts our everyday lives, irrespective of whether we are at home or at work. So what role do you see natural language processing playing as we strive for collecting machine intelligence?
1: I think that uh, in terms of collecting machine intelligence, the natural language processing is a, is a kind of signaling to humans uh, that machines would do. So the machines, in other words, have as a translator so the machine can communicate with the human being in, in, a, in, a, in a form, uh, not just uh, in terms of speech and, or, or, or written language but also in terms of being able to see emotion, See, in other words, look at somebody's face and determine if they're happy, sad, and so forth. Um, the problem is that, uh, and there are some there are fundamental challenges that have not been addressed yet. Uh, and These relate to, uh, in fact, uh, with Watson, the IBM Watson, where it did great on Jeopardy, which is basically, they, were, they learned the Wikipedia is what they did. But when they went to a problem that was uh, uh, less focused, uh, it, didn't, it doesn't work so well. And in the same sense, natural language processing, the really difficult part of that is context of use. Uh, I have defined four categories of of machine learning, and uh, being able to understand context of use. In other words, uh, if if you if you say a, a sentence which is ambiguous, but uh, is but but if somebody is a you if a human being is listening to that sentence and they look at the context of what, of what that of what you're saying happens to be, okay. Uh, so, for example, if I said, uh, "Look out!" All right. Uh, that could be because a piece of paper is falling, or a train is coming towards you. You follow what I'm saying? The idea is that you, you, it, it's very important for these natural language systems to understand context of use. Without that, okay, uh, there's a, there's a, they will they will be brittle. In other words, they will have they will make mistakes and uh, uh, and do things which uh, it's basically some people call it common sense reasoning. Uh, Doug Lynette, for example, has spent his whole career uh, trying to do that. So these, these, there are some fundamental challenges with respect to uh, things like uh, uh, image understanding, not image recognition, but image understanding, uh, speech understanding, uh, uh, and, and that relates to natural language processing, uh, that need to be solved um, or, or at least accepted that this is a, a limitation and to compensate for it in some fashion. In other words, you're not just going to say well, we can't do this so we're going to go home, okay? The, basically, you, you have to understand the issue that's there, which has been known about for 30, 40 years, okay, uh, and realize that no matter how much horsepower you have in your computer, it's not that kind of a problem. It's an exponential problem, and, and so you can't solve it and using uh, normal methods, okay. So, in terms of natural language processing, I think it's a huge part of the of the of the collective intelligence problem. <clears throat> but the issue associated with what I would call category four reasoning, okay, category three reasoning is like playing chess, okay. That's category three reasoning. <clears throat> um, category four reasoning is a big jump. It, 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 it's, it's uh, Go, the game Go is category 4 reasoning. Now you may think, oh my gosh, Google actually did that. Well, they actually didn't. They actually use brute force, they use uh, Monte Carlo methods to actually identify the move. So they, 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 they use neural networks and deep learning to identify the strategy that they wanted to use, but then they use brute force computing to identify the actual move. What we have to do here uh, is, for at least natural language processing, uh, is to either figure out a way to deal with this um, problem of context of use uh, in using a, you know, a brute force approach in other words using a, a similar approach to what Google did sort of figure out what's going on with the neural networks and so forth and then drill down fast <coughs> Excuse me, with um, brute force computing that's also okay, there's not any rules associated with this there's no rule that says you have, to, um, that you have to solve the problem just like the um, human brain does. Okay? But, the, but, but nonetheless, the problem is there, it needs to be addressed. And until it is, you're going to have people be frustrated and, you know, they'll have these natural language processing systems that almost work really well but do, do, do silly things It can't understand, when they, what things that a, a child can understand.
0: Yes, now that makes sense. Now, uh, you made an excellent point there. And uh, when I think about how human intelligence has evolved over millions of years and the nature of problems that we, the human intelligence has handled has relied largely on the use of prior experience. However, as we are trying to enable machines to reason from past experience, it requires a very radical detour, and it changes the direction from the artificial intelligence field's focus on semantic representation of knowledge to episodic representations. Now, I'm not sure if that is the path we are going uh, to forward with, are we designing collective machine intelligence systems to solve problems by being reminded of similar situations from the past, because for us to, be to do that, we will need a lot of data, the uh, you know historical data, and it will be very difficult for machines to collect all that data. So, are we going that path? Uh,
1: yeah, when you think about it. There's the data uh, in certain in, in different forms is actually out there. Uh, for example, uh, if you look at the protein database uh, that Rutgers houses, uh, and, and there's like you know thousands and thousands. I think like forty thousand. Proteins that are this structure has been solved. That's a very small number compared to what the uh, pharmaceutical companies actually have in their in their databases. They have much 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 larger, and they use it for proprietary uh, means now. So so I think the information is actually out there. There are two problems. Okay, one is the information ha- has uh, silos around. Them. In other words, the uh, uh, as in the case of protein database, uh, the uh, uh, you know that, there's all, that's only a small percentage of the molecules. Likewise, there's uh, intelligence information, for example, associated with uh, uh, national security. Uh, only very small amounts of that are available to the public. The uh, there I worked on a I worked on a uh, a problem basically a project back in uh, the uh, uh, late '80s for the National Security Agency, where they had decided that they wanted to have a network that would be transparent to us, uh, or rather to say the public, but be able to be, be every place. This, the pro- project was called Embroidery. And it's, it's, it's now there, and it's probably gone through several uh, iterations, but effectively it's the same system. It's, it's now the basis for all of their intelligence gathering, everything. Uh, that they do. It's obviously very secure, but the idea is that it has the ability to interact with public networks, even though public networks can't see it. Okay. So, point being is that the technology, the technologies to do this have been around for a while. It's it, they are, but there are human-imposed barriers to these to these pi- uh, uh, stores of knowledge, if you would, that prevent uh, interaction. Also, there's a lot of noise. In other words, so noise would be. Um, information on the internet which is uh, untrue or, or, or inaccurate. One of the problems that, that Watson, uh, they based one of the premises that they originally had in, in terms of healthcare, was they could read all these papers using natural language processing. But the, uh, uh, it turns out, as you well know from your life science background, that not, that not every single paper that's written in, in the life sciences is, is of value people write these things because it's like publish or perish. So, the idea is that what you really have is only a very few number of papers that are really worth reading and understanding and gathering information from that. So, the problem again was silo. The idea being that the computer scientists who had no background in life, well, very little background in life sciences, they, they, they they'd never discovered drugs or anything like that. They don't understand the issues associated with you know the uh, FDA and the, and the and and why most drugs fail and it has nothing to do with the, if, 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 that they don't work. They they all work when they go into you know clinical trials. The problem is the uh, the therapeutic window, the toxicity window, and that's what that washes most of them out. So the so the idea is that there the knowledge is there. Okay, the knowledge is there. What needs to take place uh, is these silos have to be opened up somehow. And, the, and then the second part of the problem is the signaling, to join these things together. The, the, those two things are key because otherwise you have noisy data or, or noisy information uh, and, and an inability to correlate across vast resources. So those are the, those are the two issues I see as uh, rate limiting that need to be addressed. And that actually uh, points to the risk group uh, in terms of what you are doing relative to Taking basically having a global perspective with respect to um, technology, uh, but it also relates to everything else. It, without that, you, you're going to have systems which are uh, not optimal, and, and and maybe not even uh, uh, not, not necessarily uh, not functional, but unreliable. That's the that's the worst thing.
0: Very true. Now, you made an excellent point about the challenges that we face because of all the silos that we have all across nations. Now, if we define collective machine intelligence as groups of machines acting collectively in an intelligent manner all across nations, the meaning of individual, where individuals could be software agents, could be, you know, human, it could be individual humans or individual computers or individual uh, IOTs collectively may consist of uh, so many different things, so many mixture of machines or machines and humans and machines and humans and and IoT things. So if we look at all of that collectively, what goals do we currently have of the rise of collective machine intelligence? What are we trying to uh, understand? What are we trying to understand when we are looking at collective machine intelligence from all across nations?
1: Well, again, it's an, in terms of a common signaling mechanism. Uh, without that, uh, it's it's very difficult to do this sort of thing. The uh, and, and, and the uh, that's a, that's a that's a step that needs to be taken, uh, and that's the one that I'm that's the one that I'm working on, uh, where you have a common signaling technology where there's a there's a protocol, if you would, for communication that all machines uh, can interact using. Now this is not again this is not uh, like a, a lower level protocol like TCPIP, which is just carrying messages and you know you can have whatever you want in the messages it could be video it could be voice even uh, it could be could be text or emails what have you uh, this is this is something on, that's layered on top of that it's like a, it's, a, it's layered on top it's like it 's like a knowledge signaling language that allows for communication of knowledge uh, that that, and sharing of knowledge in a fashion where it can be used. So uh, I'll give you an example. This is a problem that I actually um, I actually experimented with uh, uh, in, uh, in the in the late in the late uh, 90s. Uh, let's say you have a, a collective intelligence composed of a bunch of uh, agents that exist on different computers across a network, and you have a uh, you have a uh, say one node say node A. Uh, is, uh, needs to have access to, uh, a spreadsheet program. Okay? Uh, but it doesn't exist there. It doesn't exist on the node where, you know, node A lives. Uh, and it doesn't know where it is. Because let us say that this, it could be any place. So, um, the way that I addressed this was to broadcast a signal using the signaling language that I was developed, this knowledge signaling language, uh, whereby other agents across the network picked up the signal and said, ah, it's here, okay, and was able to then take that application uh, and and, and encode it uh, in the form of the signaling language and send it to the node, the agent that required it, where it then redeployed the application on that computer and actually used it, okay. So this goes well beyond remote procedure calls and other types of things like this where you're you're calling into something that you know about someplace what we're talking about here is the ability for uh, computers whether it be IOT or what have you uh, to be able to or sa- it could be anything okay to be able to say I need something who has it okay or I have something who needs it that's very important and you need to do it in such a fashion that you don't have a, a communication overload I'll give you an example of this problem has actually been solved by the military although they um, During the Vietnam War, they uh, had a problem, had exactly this problem. I have information, the pilots did in the aircraft. I have information, but I don't know who needs it. And I need information, but I don't know who has it. And uh, so the the solution at that point in time was to have lots of radio channels, 80 of them. Uh, But the the problem was nobody knew what radio channel to to listen to or talk on so that everybody else would hear what was going on. And it resulted in lots of casualties. What happened during the 60s was they addressed that problem using something called the Joint Tactical Information Distribution uh, Network. And what this thing did was basically uh, localize information, uh, self-organize the information based upon your proximity to somebody else. So, in other words, if you're far away from somebody else, uh, from a a pilot perspective, you're probably not going to be affected by by what's happening to them. But the closer they get to you, the more important that becomes. And so the way this appeared on the terminal in the aircraft, and this is still in use today, uh, is that, uh, is that the it was first actually used in combat during the first Gulf War by actually Saudi pilots flying F-15s. The is that you start to see on your terminal messages that are becoming more frequent associated with that thing that was far away. So. By, by having, and so what you ended up having, although it was uh, not explicitly intended to do this, although the architect, Eric Ellingson of that system, who I, who I work with, uh, basically told me that uh, he realized it after the fact when they did it, that uh, the ability for, for information itself to self-organize. In other words, so it's not, not sufficient for the agents to self-organize. The information itself has to self-organize. And so, by having the agents having the ability to, to ask that question, I need something, who has it? And then that response taking place, and either that information is provided automatically okay, or, 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 or sent without resulting in you know, a, a situation where, as an example, in a radio station, if, somebody, if, the, if the radio person says, I'm going to give away free tickets to the Super Bowl, uh, you have a giant congestion problem because everybody calls in at the same time. okay. That doesn't work. And so you can't just have a system where you're, you're, you know, you're saying, I need something, and everybody in the world responds at the same time because you're basically, you basically can't tell what's important. It's like a Google search that turns up bad terms. So what you need to have is the information self-organized uh, that, using uh, you know, a method which allows for uh, limiting stuff coming in. Now, when you do that, of course, you're basically running the risk that you're leaving something out that might become important. But if you do it in such a fashion where the impulse response of that information becoming available is linear, that is to say, it, it, it changes in an analog fashion, so as it becomes more important, it becomes more and more visible to you, or more and more in your field of vision, then I think what you have is a, is a basis for sharing of knowledge and collective intelligence that, ba- that, that addresses the problem of you know, uh, get where is the information, how can I get a hold of it, without creating a giant congestion problem.
0: Sure, and I think what you are telling is probably related to the lack of categorization that we see, you know, in uh, World Wide Web, because we have this immense database that is the World Wide Web. They have one addressing system at the physical level and uh, where you can reach every piece of information by the address, like, you know, whatever address you type on the server and so on. But there is no universal system of categorization. So how to make this growing database of connected computers or machines categorize in a way that we can search better? Because at the end of the day, if we are trying to search, we cannot search by, you know, on the basis of uh, the... Website address or on the basis of just some you know categories. We need to have Proper categorization so that when you try to search something we get meaningful search You know that can happen. So do you see that uh, we are making any efforts in the direction?
1: Yes, I think th- I think we are because uh, There's a lot of work going on uh, with respect to uh, Natural language processing and attempting to solve or at least address uh, the, uh, the issue of context of views. So you should be able to say something like, uh, I, I, you know, where should I go to eat today? Uh, you know, I mean, actually, you probably can say that now, but it's something more complex, but very, very general, okay? Where's the safest place uh, in my, t- in, you know, in, in my town to go eat? Or something like that. Uh, and, the, and something that's ambiguous. and the And the system, then, being able to... Uh, going to the databases that exist, and, and, and determining that, you know, going to McDonald's is not in line with what you wanted to do, okay? So I, I think that the categorization, uh, it, that there's a lot of work being done to do that. The, again, the, the, the problem is in terms of the, the siloed information, because the really good stuff, okay, is still held in private hands, and, uh, uh, and, and you can't get at it, it's just not available. Uh, so you end up making decisions which are not optimal. So the, it's, it's it's important. Uh, and then and then there's noise. There's basically people who write whatever they want to write on the internet, and they can appear as you know having a great deal of knowledge. I mean, for example, uh, you know all this stuff associated with uh, uh, white supremacism or what have you. Okay. The the idea being that um, if you were just to read that stuff from the internet, okay, you'd have a very skewed outlook on what was, you know, the way the earth, the earth works if you were an alien reading that, okay? So, so you need to have the ability to categorize and basically have, a, 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 if you would, a meta-layer a meta-layer that basically allows for you know, this is, this is uh, white supremacist stuff with, with respect to uh, a probability score or ranking of uh, 0.9, say, okay? So it can't be just, there's a tag that says uh, this is this is uh, you know some place to eat. There has to be a there has to be a, a, a combinatorics that takes place associated with probabilities uh, to, to address the issue of the, the noisy information. So what you have is a response from the computer that that, that it doesn't say with a zero nine probability. I think this is taking place. It has to be. I, I, I'm fairly certain that this is the right an, the answer to your question. So, the categorization that needs to take place, uh, it needs to go, move well beyond what's there now in terms of tagging and so forth. It has to be, again, in terms of a signaling, again, a, a signaling language, which in, includes the, the, uh, the, the ability to do approximate reasoning. In other words, being able to make statements about things which are not necessarily black and white, and, and then being able to aggregate that information present it in a fashion which is, uh, you know, uh, not ambiguous even though the question that was asked was ambiguous.
0: Yes, yes, no, it makes sense now. You know, all these technological advances that we see uh, ongoing, they allow all these connected individuals from across nations to work together in new innovative ways and it gives us an ability to solve so many complex problems facing humanity together and blockchain technology allows nations the digital infrastructure on which the global systems can be built. Do you see that the time is now ripe for many more such systems to benefit from collective intelligence? Because if we say, you know, uh, our effort, you know, we are trying to understand global risk. We are trying to see what kind of collective risk intelligence we can gather so that we can take a step forward in uh, bringing some meaningful change to the complex uh, risk and challenges facing humanity. But do you see that, you know, we, uh, we can now build the global systems using this collective, not only human intelligence, but also collective machine intelligence?
1: Yes, and you bring up blockchain. That's a really good example because blockchain is not just about bitcoins. You can put anything inside a blockchain, okay? And, and the knowledge doesn't get deleted. It's there forever, all right? So uh, whatever's there is just there. Uh, there, there are some uh, public blockchains. There are some vulnerabilities. So, for example, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Bitcoin blockchain, for example, and I know because I've done a lot of work on Bitcoin and blockchain, and I'm actually have a, we run a full node. Um, here in, in, uh, in Montana uh, where I am the, in in I'm in in I mean Columbia Falls but basically it shows up as Kalispell on the map but the point being is that uh, the blockchain is a really good example of a very very simple protocol which, which uh, uh, allows you to use a peer-to-peer approach uh, that is um, neutral to the application so for example Napster the music sharing technology that was shut down by Sony and all these other companies uh, was, was, a, was a peer-to-peer approach. But the problem was two things. First, uh, it, it became a proprietary system and second, what they were trying to share, they shouldn't have been sharing because they file lawsuits to file. Blockchain isn't like that. Uh, blockchain is being used for all kinds of things. The, um, uh, in the blockchain of Bitcoin, there are viruses inactive but there are viruses that people have just stuck in there because they do, okay? Um, but the point being is that blockchain is a technology which has the ability uh, to uh, ba- basically be a breakout technology with respect to knowledge sharing. Uh, because it, the knowledge never goes away. It's, it, anybody can have access to it. You can't destroy it because it's, every, it's replicated. Storage is not an issue anymore, okay? Uh, computer performance speed is. Uh, because of fundamental physical limits, uh, but, the, but uh, uh, storage is not an issue. Uh, storage is getting cheaper and cheaper, so the there, so there's really no issue associated with blockchain technology and and how much how big the database is. Networks are getting faster, so you can download the blockchain. I downloaded the uh, the entire blockchain of uh, I think it was 185 gigabytes in uh, seven hours, something like that. Okay, so. Um, and I don't have, you know, I'm, and my connection was only, is only 100, 100 uh, megabits per second. So, so the point being is that um, the blockchain technology is a, is a perfect example for a breakout capability, which is not controlled by a company that everybody has access to. Uh, governments will try to get, a, get control of this because they'll, it, it, it could potentially uh, impact uh, the entire internet itself, in terms of how information is stored, so instead of having HTML pages and so forth stored in SQL databases, okay which is what they do now, or you know Oracle databases or what have you, the same information can be inside a blockchain and much more easily accessible okay That's a, and that 's a and the reason blockchain is 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 so important is because it's it 's open source. Okay, and it's self-organizing. That's really important, meaning that it doesn't require some somebody be be turning a crank to basically make it work or have it function. So I think blockchain is an example of a technology which could be a breakout technology for uh, breaking down the silos of information. The dark network obviously was sharing stuff, some of which shouldn't have been shared. But the point being is that. the the, the the law enforcement has basically almost completely shut down doc Network. Okay, uh, it's almost gone. Uh, basically, they, they raided the servers, <clears throat> they raided the servers, shut them down. So 70% of the traffic is gone. This has been documented on the internet. It was relatively easy to do. Blockchain, you can't do that. Okay, if somebody were to try to shut down blockchain, you just couldn't do it because the information is shared every place. And it's not, and it's not something you can file a lawsuit against necessarily because it's it's not necessarily going to have all, all just your stuff in there okay uh, that belongs to you so i think that blockchain is is, is a really good example of a techno- of, of a breakout technology that would combine with machine intelligence uh, you 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 have the basis for breaking down these silos and and effectively a new way of sh- of, of sharing information which uh, is uh, redundant, redundant to failure. During the Cold War, we used to have this thing called multimedia, okay? It wasn't what it's called today. Multimedia today is a different thing. Back then, multimedia was if a nuclear bomb drops on something, what other way can the message get to you? That was what multimedia was, okay? Blockchain is an example of multimedia in that context. You can't destroy it someplace. You'd have to take out the entire network. In order to of of all the nodes, in order to be able to make the blockchain fail, so that is a key technology for breaking down the barriers that uh, are currently present with respect to these information silos and these different nations.
0: Absolutely, and the biggest, uh, the most attractive attribute of blockchain technology is that it solves the trust problem because it enables individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, academia, all the components to transact with each other as it removes each component's needs to trust the other. We don't need to, you know, trust. So, because we know that this will not be compromised as you were, you know, just explaining. So, tools play a defining role when we design and define systems for collective intelligence, be it a risk management system or any other system that we are trying to, you know, develop. So, do you see a fundamental change in how we approach collective intelligence due to blockchain or any system that we are trying to develop uh, because of the blockchain?
1: I think that blockchain is critical uh, to this. Now, the, the, uh, the algorithm, if you, if you read the uh, original uh, Nakamoto paper uh, that was published in the, I think it was the early 90s, uh, I, I, I might be wrong on that, but basically uh, he, he goes through, or they, it's not clear if it's a he or it's a they, uh, but effectively uh, there, is a, there is a fundamental, there is an issue with blockchain, a technical problem. Um, that basically relates to security, and it has to do with how hash codes are identified. And the idea is that um, as the blockchain grows, the probab- probability of this vulnerability being exploited uh, becomes less and less and less. So the more complicated the blockchain becomes, the lower the probability is that the vulnerability can be exploited. It has to do with how hash codes are, are calculated, and which is the fundamental aspect of, of blockchain and the basis for blockchain mining. Some people make money doing that. There are companies been formed to do that. But notwithstanding that, blockchain uh, uh, is still a, a huge. Uh, and, and you have to think of blockchain is not the end all. It, it's the beginning of a way of doing things, which is peer-to-peer, that is uh, self-secure. Uh, okay, which which is uh, which is uh, doesn't delete any information, remembers everything. Okay, uh, that that can that can be used as a as a as a, as a Foundation. I'll use that word. A foundation to build these intelligent collective systems that that that, that break down these barriers. Okay. Uh, I think that blockchain is a is a is a key technology, not just for currency, uh, but but for all kinds of documents, information sharing. I even was told a couple of weeks ago that somebody is using blockchain in Florida to um, to uh, uh, fly drones collectively. In other words, so the drones actually use the blockchain. Uh, I, I'm not, I, I haven't looked into it, but the, the drones actually use blockchain to communicate uh, common information amongst one another. So if they're doing it there, drones are really a really good example, because drones lead the way for where collective intelligence is going. Okay? Uh, been, you know, the, the swarming that they've been, they're, they're actually deploying now, <clears throat> the, 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 the military applications that they're using uh, are, are, you know, are important because the types of problems that they need to address are the same general issues that we're talking about here in terms of enabling collective intelligence. Uh, So, the fact that somebody's using blockchain, and 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 it came from an extremely reliable source, uh, who actually, um, his name was uh, uh, Peter Fingar. He's he's a consultant to uh, top-level management at IBM and so forth and an expert on, uh, on, on, on uh, technologies which uh, have become, uh, basically, breakout technologies, like, for example, the cloud and so forth. He, he was one of the first to promote the cloud, uh, and now AI and, and blockchain. He's the one that, where I got this information on the blockchain. So, the point being is that blockchain, I think, is a breakout technology, uh, both p- public and private blockchains are Really, no different other than the fact that the firewall doesn't allow them to talk to each other. But if you had a, a signaling mechanism that enabled that, uh, you basically had the basis for effectively uh, a very not infinite, but you know, pretty big knowledge base that you could draw upon uh, at will from any place, uh, virtually instantaneously because of the because of the uh, peer-to-peer sharing. Yes.
0: Yes, of course. Now let's talk about your organization. It seems you have worked for decades at the crossroad of physics, life sciences, computer science, and military operations towards the objective of a sentient collective machine intelligence. Would you care to elaborate on where you are with reference to achieving your objective of sentient collective machine intelligence?
1: Uh, we're at the point where uh, very soon, within months, we're going to release a platform uh, that uh, that actually Uh, integrates all these different things that I think are important. uh, It's about uh, 300,000 lines of code and developed since uh, 1995. And we've been, uh, we've worked on different types of problems, uh, security problems, uh, my background in, uh, uh, with the intelligence agencies and communication security and and also uh, encryption and those kinds of things, Satellite communications uh, provided for a framework that, uh, for, for security, sort of a compartmentalization of the system. Uh, but that's, that's, something, that's basically integrating a known technology into how agents function. Uh, the system was applied for uh, 13 years to small molecule drug discovery successfully uh, using the signaling protocol that uh, I, I've alluded to. Uh, So, and I believe that, uh, and the reason it's taken so long is two reasons. Number one, uh, I did not want to be influenced uh, by outside forces to the extent where it suddenly was diverted from the path where I wanted to go. And number two, you couldn't get there anyway without having uh, moved into different spaces and, and become knowledgeable in those spaces. So fundamental to what I realized as an example, was that, uh, you know, signaling, that how molecules signal, signal each other in, in, in proteins and so forth in, in living systems, uh, that's pretty fundamental to how things should work. Uh, the, the key thing was figuring out a way to do that in a computer that um, made sense in terms of signaling. Uh, and I, and I, I believe I've, the, the version that we have, which has been tested on a number of very difficult problems, uh, successfully uh, has has demonstrated that. Also, the idea, and, it's, and interestingly, it's a peer-to-peer system, just like blockchain. Uh, it works in the same exact fashion. Um, the it's composed of agents that talk to each other. Uh, it's composed of uh, neurons which have virtual connections. So the the idea of having something like this, and what we you know, we tend to do is release it as a platform. It's something that people it's just like as if you were to buy. Uh, you know, Microsoft Word uh, and basically, uh, you know, apply it and, and it, tr- it generates turnkey systems that just deploy uh, and either, uh, in, in terms of basically anything on Windows, any, any Microsoft platform, and it has proxies to work on other operating systems. So I think, for example, I have a, come to a point where I'm satisfied with this collective intelligence, which I call uh, quantum artificial intelligence, um, and there's a reason for that. I, I won't get into it right now, but there's a reason for that. Uh, it has to do with how the signaling works, uh, but, and it's not doing quantum mechanical things. It's it's uh, the signaling uh, is 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 uh, the signaling spreads like a wave function. So no, it's like a, it's like a you throw a pebble into a pool, and the and the and the wave that spreads is how the how the messages propagate throughout the system. Um, but there are some differences with respect to how messages are received, which gives it this quantum uh, viewpoint. The, um, but the key thing is that I believe we're at a point where uh, the system can be uh, released. And we're, we're just now just figuring out exactly how we want to do this. Uh, the main thing that we want to do is get it into as many hands as possible. That's the key thing, okay? So, and so other people can go beyond what we've done. And uh, we spent a lot of money doing this, but, you know, uh, we've also made a lot of money applying it so the the point being is that to uh, provide it to others uh, an open source is not necessarily outside of the out of the idea of how we're considering to do this
0: that's That's a good point, and I think that would be the right uh, move and perhaps a closing question for uh, us to ponder is how do these new kinds of collective machine intelligence systems that we are trying to build to solve all the complex challenges facing humanity, not just individual nation or individual business or individual government, but the humanity. So uh, as we go forward on that, what it means to be an accountable human, that is something that we need to understand and how what role each one of us individually and collectively have to play in solving the complex challenges that is facing all of us here on the earth. Uh, And if we look in the cyberspace or if we are looking at the space. So I think and I hope that this approach to thinking about collective machine intelligence can help us to understand not only what it means to be individual humans, but what it means for us as humans to be part of some broader collective humanity system. So having said that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners and especially the young minds all across nations who are trying to make a difference? Money is not the main motivator to a lot of young people across nations. They are all trying to solve big problems for, in, for the particular nation or for the uh, global you know, community. So what would you like to tell them? I think you
1: know, the most important thing uh, is to communicate. Uh, that is the most important thing. To uh, to to communicate and, and and not be afraid to be you know to ask any kind of question, uh, because the only you know obviously bad question is the one that's not asked. So that is the single thing that I would say that you know uh, increase communication because that leads to increased understanding. So people understand. Um, where somebody else is coming from. I'll give you a, an example. Um, there's a lot of uh, in the United States, of course. this, uh, this uh, anti-fascist group that's a sort of a, a counter-response, a co-evolution, if you would, uh, to uh, the fa- to the people that are fascists. Now, the thing is that the the languages that are used are uh, incorrect because if you go back to when these things, when fascism actually arose. Uh, in uh, in in terms of its its uh, its, its large scale basis, it was in Italy. It wasn't Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany was was a uh, basically a, a race based economy. But, you know because they didn't have any problem with immigration or anything like that. Uh, they, their problem was with pe- people's race, okay? And that there was only certain races that could uh, profit, and other races were not allowed. Uh, fascism is very different. So the point being is that. People uh, end up communicating um, and saying things. In fact, fascism uh, uh, is very close to certain forms of socialism. Uh, Keynes, uh, the famous economist, uh, basically said things that Mussolini thought were great, and, he, and Keynes was an you know, extremely liberal uh, economist. So the point being is that uh, people need to uh, communicate and understand, listen, because without that, you could basically be having your messages pass right by each other. And so, so the, one, the receiving end is not understanding exactly what the you know, sending end is saying. So I think communication for the young people is the most important thing, because that resolves ambiguity, which, which can resolve, lead to resolve, resolving conflict.
0: Yes. Yes, now that's a good advice. Now it is said that none of us knows everything. You're right about it. None of us knows everything. But we all know something. Individually, we all know something. So if the collective human intelligence and collective machine intelligence is the foundation of space age, we have to take advantage of that. Now, the capacity of nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, communities that we have to evolve, towards higher order integration and performance through collaboration and innovation is a need of the time. So, so thank you, Lars, for participating in this roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on collective machine intelligence and our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided on collective machine intelligence and especially uh, the signaling efforts that you are uh, working on currently and its benefits to the society and its future. So even if a single individual or entity can come up with an idea to explore collective machine intelligence to solve complex challenges facing humanity based on the understanding they received from the discussion we had today, the Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that.
1: Thank you very much for
0: having me. Wonderful, Lars. So when we look back at how knowledge and information sharing has evolved, over the centuries probably, and uh, how this web search engines to ever increasing amounts of data and digital content in so many different formats today. It is remarkable to be witnessing a silent revolution towards collective machine intelligence. It is time to evaluate that we collectively evaluate the security risk of the silent revolution towards collective machine intelligence. Risk groups, cybersecurity, geo security, and space security risk research centers Are created for this very reason to identify evaluate and manage the risk facing ngioa in cgs that means nations its government industries organizations and academia in cyberspace geospace and space we at risk group believe that risk management security and peace they walk together hand in hand though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the Risk Roundup, to watch the Risk Roundup videos or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.